Welcome to the Premium Sermon Podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Thanks for supporting World Evangelism with your premium subscription, and enjoy today's sermon. I want to ask you to open up your Bible with me. We're going to look into the Word of God for a few moments tonight in Psalm 119, which just so happens to be the longest chapter in the Bible. The reason why it's the longest chapter in the Bible is because it is a love letter to the Word of God. This is a unique psalm among the 150 total psalms in the Bible. Psalm 119 is an acrostic psalm. What that means is that each line begins with the advancing alphabet letters of the Hebrew alphabet. The reason why it's so long is because you have 10 verses that all begin with the letter Aleph, that's the letter A in the Hebrew alphabet, and then you have the letter Bet, and then you have the uh, the Himmel, and you have all of the different letters of the Hebrew alphabet, each of them ten lines long, and that's why you have such a long uh, psalm. But what's interesting about this psalm is, like I said, it is a love letter. Every single line mentions the Word of God, the Scripture. It mentions the power of God's Word. It mentions the regulations of God. It re- over and over again, it tells us why the Word of God is important. And so we've been going through this psalm together in our Bible reading program, and little by little making our way through this longest chapter of the Bible. And even though it may seem like it's very repetitive, in reality, there are many diverse things that we can learn if we will read carefully. And in the scripture we're going to read tonight, we're going to pick four verses from this very long psalm because there is a common word that is used repeatedly in a very short span of, of, uh, of scriptures. And what you must understand as a student of the Bible tonight is when you see repetition, you have to pay closer attention. Repetition in the Bible is God's way of underlining, God's way of putting in bold letters, God's way of making sure that we put our attention on something very specific. And when I read these verses tonight, my, uh, even though I've read through this many times, I was drawn to the repetition of a particular word that I want to teach to you tonight. It's a Hebrew word, and I love it. It is, in English, translated as the word affliction. It can be translated in a couple different ways, which we'll go look at tonight. But I want to teach you the Hebrew word behind the word affliction, and it is great. Are you ready for this? The Hebrew word goes like this. Ana. Ana. And if you want to spell it, it's aw dash. N-A-W. Ah, no. Can you say it with me tonight? Ah, no. And what it means is afflictions. Now, don't get scared tonight. Uh, You are going to be encouraged before you leave this place. But I want to preach to you tonight how God uses affliction, a sermon I've titled, Ah, no. 
And there are four verses that use this Hebrew word. We're going to read all four of them back to back. First is verse 67 from Psalm 119. It says, I... I'm reading from New Living Translation, New Living Translation, for those who are curious. But it says these words. I used to wander off until you disciplined, honor me. But now I closely follow your word. Then we look at verse 71. My suffering, honor, was good for me. For it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. Then we see verse 75. I know, O Lord, that your regulations are fair. You honor disciplined me because I needed it. And finally, verse 107, same chapter. I have suffered. I have been afflicted. I have honor much, O Lord. Restore my life again as you promised. How the Lord uses honor. Let's pray. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth, which brings enlightenment, strength, and courage to us. I'm praying, God, that you would help us to see your hand at work, even through the afflictions, the difficulties, the pain, the setbacks of our lives. And we thank you tonight for what you're going to do in our lives. We desperately need you in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, amen. So I want to first of all say... Something that you probably don't want to hear. Something that I honestly don't always want to hear. And that is that honor happens to us all. Affliction in this life is part of the human experience. What does this word mean? It means in the original language to afflict, to oppress, to be humbled, to literally the thought... Behind the word, it means to be bowed down or to be bent over, carrying a burden on top of your head. There's a couple other places in the Bible that show us what this word means. Familiar from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, this messianic scripture about Jesus where it says that surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We, he is awe-naw. Think of the burden that Jesus carried on the cross. That is the affliction that we're talking about tonight. We are uh, in verse 7, same chapter, where it says, he was oppressed and he was of afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. So when we talk about the awe-naw, when we talk about the affliction, we are not, let's be clear tonight, we are not talking about the stupid consequences of your stupid rebellion against God, right? If we'll be honest, many of the problems we have in our life are a result of our own stupid decisions, okay? Now, that is one type of affliction that life puts on us, that we put on ourselves. Sometimes there is the kind of affliction that... Uh, just bad stuff happens in life, right? Sometimes you get a flat tire. Sometimes you get fired in the, in the middle of uh, what, what you thought was going to be a good day. Sometimes life just happens and that can become a difficulty or a pain. That's not what we're talking about tonight. What we are talking about is the awe-naw, the afflictions that God permits in our life for a purpose. This is not... Devil, get behind me, Satan. 
This is not the type of affliction that, uh, that we want to be rid of tonight. These are God-ordained corrections. Another good biblical word is chastening. Intended to focus and renew our lives. Think of these scriptures as we consider the awe-naw afflictions of our life. Proverbs 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. That means when somebody tells you something you don't want to hear, but you need to hear. You better have a few good friends in your life that can tell you things. You better have some good spiritual leadership in your life that can speak into your life when you're acting the fool. Psalm 141, verse 5. Let the righteous strike me. It shall be a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It shall be as excellent oil. Thank God that David understood this. He had some people around him that could tell him, David, you're being, you're being stupid, man. This is the wrong decision. You better think again. This is why uh, parents, good godly parents, are a righteous and a holy thing, isn't it? All the teenagers said, amen, pastor. Thank God. God, you gave me good parents that lead me in the way that I should go. It's a good thing tonight. You better have some people that can speak into your life. Hebrews 12, verse 10. They indeed for a few days chastened us. Here's the apostles speaking about our earthly fathers uh, on the earth uh, as we were growing up. That He's talking about a good parents are going to chasten and to correct. This is what he says. For a few days they chastened us as seemed best to them, but he, God, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Jesus says, as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. That's why we need to live lives of repentance. I'm not getting any amens tonight. That's okay, because I got something to say tonight. God allows the awe-naw moments to occur. The afflictions that are not just, not just random acts of difficulty in our lives, but the things that God allows to occur in our lives because He understands it's going to produce something. This is why you go to the gym and you lift weights. You know, I used to tell people all the time, I tried going to the gym one time, but you know what? Those weights, they're just so heavy. Yeah, there's a reason why you, you, you want to go to the gym, you want to get your heart rate up a little bit, because by adding a little bit of difficulty, it is going to help your body, right? Going to make you healthy. You're going to help you live longer. You could stay in bed all day and eat bags of potato chips, or you could wake up in the morning and get a job and go to work and make a paycheck and be productive with your life, right? So by adding a little bit of difficulty and a little bit of uh, pain and agony of waking up and listening to the boss and being honest on the job, and by giving yourself some restrictions, it produces something good. Are you with me tonight? God understands that when it comes to your life, your character, your future with God, 
that you and I will never achieve all the things that he has for us unless he allows some awe and awe, some affliction. In our scripture that we read tonight, this word is repeated four times in a relatively short span. And I believe if we will, co- if we will study the connections between them, there's a powerful message. So let's look at these four scriptures tonight. The first one that we read was in verse 67. And the author of this beautiful psalm, he is first bringing our attention to the time before the awe The time before my affliction. And what does he say in verse 67? I used to wander off until you disciplined me. See, before the affliction, David reflects. Before I had a difficult time, before I went through the problems of life, I was a wanderer. I was wandering through the hills, through the valleys, without much direction in life. Let me just tell you tonight, wandering is not good. It is not good for the believer. Wandering is a picture of danger. Isaiah 53, verse 6, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have all turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so you have the picture of a sheep that is separated from his shepherd, separated from the rest of the flock. What do you call a sheep that is separated from the flock? Food. A sheep who has no shepherd, a sheep who has no flock, a sheep that is all by itself will not survive. A sheep has no natural defenses. It doesn't have sharp teeth or powerful claws. There's no such thing as mighty sheep. There's no, there's, you, you have the flying eagles, you have the mighty warriors. You don't have any mighty sheep, do you? You're never going to see that as a school mascot because sheep are not mighty, especially when they are by themselves. And can we be honest tonight? When God looks at you, he doesn't see an eagle. He doesn't see a lion. He doesn't see a a mighty killer whale. Well, maybe a few of us. But what does God see? He sees sheep. The only time that a sheep has strength is when it is found in connection to other sheep and to a shepherd. That was a good place to say amen, Mr. Stephen. You have to recognize this about yourself. When you are wandering, you are in danger. When you are isolated, you are in danger. If a sheep doesn't starve first, it is going to be eaten. If a sheep is not eaten first, it's going to fall into a lake and drown. If it doesn't fall into a lake and drown and happens to survive somehow, do you know a sheep has, has this wool that grows on it? And it, if it continues to grow for any length of time, it becomes matted and disgusting and filthy until it weighs the sheep down, can't even walk. A sheep needs the care and the tenderness of a shepherd. I'm telling you, church, you need to be gathered together with other people. You need a church. 
You need a a shepherd. You need leadership. You need guidance in your life. And if you are saying to yourself, ah, pastor, you don't, see, I'm smart enough. I'm strong enough. And doggone it, people like me. And if you're saying all those things to yourself, you are in danger. The, The enemy is looking at you, and he is salivating right now. He's saying, you are my next meal. Because when the wolf goes out, how many know he doesn't attack the flock? The wolf goes out, he's not looking for the one that has that big, strong shepherd with a big, ugly stick in his hand. Who is he looking for? The wanderer. He's looking for the one that's all by themselves, who's sickly and slow and got a little broken, twisted ankle on one side. He said, that's an easy one. And the very next temptation that you face, and the very next difficulty of life, might be your last. Another name for a wandering sheep is food. Another name for a wandering believer is backslider. And we think that we can handle wandering, but we cannot. I was just at somebody's house a couple weeks back. Yeah, this was before we went to Arizona. And uh, I was doing some work in their, their house, doing some computer stuff. And uh, I came out front door when I was finished and I opened the door and they had this little dog. And so the little dog, you know, slipped right by me, went out the front door. And I, was, I got scared because uh, in my house, if my dog goes out the front door, uh, bad things are about to happen next. Either the dog's going to run away, I'm going to have to chase it. or She's going to bark at the neighbors. You know, this is, this is not a good scene. But this little dog ran, ran out beside me, and, and I was amazed because the people, they were not afraid. They were not scared. And I was, like, freaking out, try, trying to grab the dog. And I said, don't worry. It's okay. We have an invisible fence. I said, wow. How does that work? And they said, you see that little thing on the collar? See that little thing, a little box he's got on his collar? And at the edge of our yard, there is a buried cable. And if that little doggy happens to tread close to that little wire, he gets an electroshock therapy <laughs> before he leaves the yard. That's what you call an invisible fence. Now, you might think that that sounds cruel. You might think that sounds painful. Don't worry, it's not going to leave any permanent damage. But, you know, that dog is going to walk across that wire one time. Maybe two times. If it's a real stupid dog, maybe three times. But once it walks over that wire and it gets shocked, guess what? It's going to learn its lesson. And that dog is not going to wander. And that is a wonderful thing. Guess what? It brings peace to the owners. They can open their front door. That little doggy can run out. They don't have to be afraid. They don't have to be, they don't have to be scared. That little doggy can go out in the front yard can sniff around, can play in the yard. There's freedom in knowing there's a boundary. Freedom. There is peace in knowing. Oh, I want to tell you, you and I, we need, oh, I wish I could strap some invisible fence around some of y'all. I wish that we could be contained See, what David says is, before I felt your discipline, before I experienced the awe and awe, I was a wanderer. 
I used to wander off until you disciplined me. David recognizes that there is a limit to how far we should be able to go. There is a limit. And when we pass that limit, oh, it is not just that we are making God angry, but we are hurting ourselves. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. How about Adam and Eve? God gave them free range. You can eat whatever tree, whatever fruit that you want, but I got this one little tree right here. That's my tree. Don't touch it. Don't eat of it. If you take of that fruit, then you will die. And they had much, they had incredible freedom, incredible blessing. They had incredible range to eat whatever they wanted in paradise with God. But when they crossed the line, When they were afflicted, guess what? God removed that freedom. David understood this. Before the discipline, I used to wander. This is Jonah, right? Jonah, who was called by God to be a prophet, called to preach the good news in Nineveh. He said, I I, I don't like those Ninevites. I'd rather go the other direction, God. I want to go to... the, uh, the coast of Spain and have a little holiday. That sounds nice to me. I'm going to go the other direction. And guess what? God said, you're not going to do that and be blessed. You're not going to do that and fulfill the calling. Some people want to have it both ways. But I tell you, you can't be in Joppa and Nineveh. You can't be in the will of God and doing your own thing at the same time. How many people wander? This is why the discipline, the awe-naw, the affliction of God is actually a wonderful gift. Listen to what David says in this verse once again. I used to wander off until you disciplined me, but now I closely follow your word. I love that. I used to wander, but now I closely follow. Follow your word. What is he saying? I learned my lesson. He's like that little doggy at the invisible fence. 
So I want to tell you, nobody knows where that wire is, but that dog knows where that wire is. It's right here, but it's not here. If I step here, but if I step here, oh, it's okay. I closely follow the boundaries. See, when you live according to your flesh, according to your own desires, according to the way of this world, you know what? You're going to get zapped a few times. And it's not pleasant. We're talking to people, even right now, who are, uh, who are thinking that they can live life one way and it's going to work out. And it don't work out. There's a way that seems right to a man. But what does it lead to? Destruction. Pain. Oh, no. It leads to a zap. And what David says, he says, I used to wander. I used to think I was free. I used to do what I wanted. But because of the all and all, now I closely follow your word. You know, this should be a mark of the, of the uh, maturing Christian. This should be a mark of somebody who's growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Savior. This should be a mark that you are getting closer to the knowledge of where the boundary ought to be. Not saying, how close can I get to the edge without falling off? But saying, Lord, where is the place that pleases you? Where is the place in my life that I can, I can do what's right and I can live free from guilt and shame? Don't you want to live like that? Let's look secondly. During the awe and awe. David said, first of all, before the awe and awe, I wandered. But during, during my suffering, verse 71, my suffering, the awe and awe, was good for me. It taught me. To pay attention to your decrees, to your laws, to your word. Think about boot camp. Some of you all have been through boot camp. Why is this such an, important, such an important part of a military career? Boot camp. Because in boot camp, if you haven't experienced it, you've probably seen it on TV or in a movie somewhere. And you know, uh, uh, I don't think anybody would say that boot camp is easy It's not supposed to be easy, right? You're doing a lot of push-ups, a lot of sit-ups, a lot of running, a lot of physical activity, a lot of sleep deprivation, a lot of waking up early, going to bed late, a lot of eating in five minutes or less, a lot of showers in in 60 seconds. It is hard, man. Why do they make it so hard? Well, because in the boot camp, they are breaking you down so that they they can then build you back up. That's the idea. Is you're taking people who are very selfish and teaching them that they are no longer in charge of themselves. That's what you need in the military. If you're going to have good sailors and Marines and Army and, and Air Force, you're going to have good soldiers, you're going to have to have people who are not worried about what I want to do but what are my commands? Can I tell you, this is also true in the kingdom. This is also true in your relationship with God. That there is a certain kind of spiritual boot camp that God will put you through. You know what it's called? It's called, oh, no. It's called affliction. It's called correction. Listen, I have read scriptures. I don't know about you, but sometimes I read a scripture and it cuts to the heart Straight down to the bone. God, why? Oh, because I need to hear it 
I need a cor- correction in my heart. I've been wandering. I've been doing something that's stupid. I need to hear a correction. In a boot camp, there are a few important things that are beaten into your thick skull so that you will never forget them. Some of you right now, it's been 20 years since you were in boot camp. 30 years, but you still remember what you learned there. It's because of the affliction. This is also why many people never get saved until they reach the end of their rope. You've heard that in people's testimony, right? They, they say, man, I was, I was in the world. I thought I had it all going on. Everything was awesome. I had friends. I had money. And then I ran out. That prodigal son, right? He was living the prodigal life. And as long as the money was there, oh, it was great. But you then, then the money ran out. And then the friends all left. And then life got hard. And then, then, why is it only then that we turn our eyes to heaven? Say, God, I'm desperate. God, I need you. It's because those all in all affliction moments of life is what God uses to bring us to himself. As long as there is still a trace of comfort, we can still make excuses. And this is why so often when I pray for people who are not saved, do you know what I pray? I pray, God, bring them to the end of themselves. God, make them miserable. Not because I want them to be miserable, but because I want them to turn to you. I want them to seek you. I don't want to have to try to convince and argue and, and you know, have a, a three-hour therapy session with someone. No, just, just God, that they would turn to you. That they would repent. That they would see what they're doing is stupid. Because during the awe and awe, David says, it was good for me. It taught me to pay attention to your decrees. I think about Moses. Moses. Moses, who grew up in the lap of luxury, the first 40 years of his life in Egypt, under the care of the Pharaoh's daughter. He learned in the finest schools. He would have eaten the finest foods. He would have had the finest education. And guess what he got out of it? Almost nothing. It wasn't until he... He did something he was ashamed of. He was caught in a murder, and he had to run from Egypt to the backside of the desert, 40 years chasing sheep around. Affliction. The awe and awe that God allowed in his life. That was what prepared him to hear from God through a burning bush. I wonder tonight, what kind of revelation does God have for you on the other side of awe and awe? Let's look thirdly, verse 75, after the awe and awe. David says this, I know, say the word, I know. I know, O Lord, that your regulations are fair. You disciplined me, you awe and awe me, because I needed it. David's making a statement here. He's saying before was just something that somebody else told me, but now, now that I've been through the all and all, I know. I am fully convinced. You don't have to try to convince me because I already know. This is Job, right? Job who uh, spends the entire book of Job. He, man, I feel sorry for Job because he didn't know what hit him. He was a righteous man. Even God said he was a righteous man. And he didn't know where this attack came from. 
He couldn't see in the heavenly realm. God, that uh, the devil makes this accusation against him. God allows some awe and awe in Job's life. His family is killed. His crops are destroyed. His houses, even his health, and even his wife begins to discourage him. Man, what a terror. And then his friends, his friends gather around, and they're going to try to help him. And what do they do? You're a sinner, Job. You better repent because God doesn't treat good people like this. And so 42 chapters of Job trying to figure out, trying to process what is happening. And at the end of all this, all of these questions that Job is asking, and God never answers Job's questions. The way that God answers is what? He says, Job, where were you? Where were you when I made the world? Who do you think you are to question me? Do you know who makes the snow and keeps it in storehouses? Do you know who keeps Leviathan and puts a hook in his nose? And Job is like, huh? And after all of those questions, God doesn't answer. Not one question, but instead gives him question after question after question. And finally, Job gets it. Okay, God, it's not about me. And this is the conclusion of Job's Job's discussion with God. Listen to what he says, Job 42, verse 5. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. I have heard of you before, God. I knew about you. I learned a few things, but now, now I see clearly. What is he saying? He's saying, I know something now. I've been through some affliction, God, and you've shown yourself to me. I know that you are real. I know that even when things don't make sense, I know that when I'm going through pain and agony of this life, God, I can't depend on someone else's revelation. I can't talk about somebody else's conviction. I've got to have my own. I've got to know you for who you are, for myself. I was just telling somebody yesterday, God doesn't have grandchildren. He's got children. You can't, you can't exist off some, somebody else's relationship with God. You've got to have your own. David said, I know, Lord. I know it now. When you make it through the awe and awe afflictions of life, then you will have your own conviction, not another's. I love what Simon Peter said. When, when the disciples were running away, he had taught some very difficult things in John chapter 6. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, are you going to go away too? You guys leaving? Have you heard what I said? Yeah, some hard things, some difficult things. And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've seen it. We've heard them. We've watched you heal people. Peter says, this is not from flesh and blood. He gives this revelation of you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you didn't get that from flesh and blood. You didn't read that in some book. You know, Peter. Do you know tonight? This is the reason why God allows afflictions and pain sometimes in our lives because it is through the awe and awe that we get our own personal revelation of God. Finally, as we close... It is because of the awe afflictions that we can be restored. Everybody say restored. Look at verse 107. It says, I have suffered much. Awe Same word. 
I have suffered much, O Lord. Restore my life again as you have promised. I want to tell you tonight, the awe and awe afflictions of life are what set up the future miracles. You live for God for some amount of time, you'll begin to see this play out in people's lives. You begin to see the plan and the strategy of God that the reason that he allows some people to go through some painful things is because he's setting up a restoration, a comeback. He's setting up a future story of God's grace and mercy. He is turning your trouble into a testimony. See, without the awe and awe afflictions of life, there would be no redemption. See, Abraham and Sarah, they had to have 20 years of awe and awe. 20 years of waiting on the promise of even uh, doing some stupid things along the way. Uh, can anybody say uh, uh, Ishmael? 20 years of making some fail, failures along the way, and God saying, I'm promising you, you hold true. But without those 20 years, there would be no Isaac, no promise fulfilled. See, without, without the 400 years of bondage and slavery in Egypt, then there's no Passover miracle, right? See, without the cross of Calvary, there is no resurrection. I want to remind you tonight that every awe naw affliction that is happening in your life tonight, in your marriage, in your finances, in your children, in the, th- in the problems that you don't have answers for tonight, I want to remind you that every problem is a future redemption. Every trouble is a future testimony. Every pain is a future promise. And God is going to work it through tonight. Listen, think of Joseph. We're closing. Could Joseph have ever known where his life would take him? Could Joseph, in the midst of being rejected and betrayed by his own brothers, sold into slavery? That's not a good day. Could Joseph have ever seen how he goes down to Egypt, how he gets falsely accused, thrown into prison, and for this long period of his life, it looks like nothing good is happening. Nothing good. He looks, if it was you or me, man, I would have felt forsaken by God, forsaken by my family. I would have said, forget about this, this dream, whatever, whatever that was. I'm a bad pizza. Who knows? But that was not real. Because look at my life now. It's nothing but on and on. And one day, he gets, a, he gets a call. Ring, ring, ring. Yeah, the Pharaoh wants you. Heard you interpret some dreams. Can you come and speak? And in one day, he goes from the prison to the prime minister. One day. Could he have known? No, he could never have known. But God could see it all the way. He said, there's a reason why it's happening, Joseph. And it wasn't until years later, and his brothers are standing before him, begging for their lives. And he says these words, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God meant it. God was doing something. I couldn't orchestrate this. I couldn't put all the pieces together. But God 
Listen, you've got to be able to see God at work in the middle of your awe and awe. Romans 8.28, we know that all things, did you, say, did you see what that said? All things, not all good things, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And this is where, beloved, we've got to remember that he still cares about us. He hasn't forgot about you. He hasn't given up on you. This is why in Hebrews 12, final scripture, have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons and daughters? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. So if you endure chastening, God is dealing with you as with sons. But if you are without chastening, then you are illegitimate and you are not his child. I want you to hear that tonight. The evidence that you belong to Jesus, the evidence that you are a child of God, is not when the $100 bills are falling and when everything's going well, And when all the bills are paid, that's not the evidence. The evidence is when you're going through a few things. But his presence, you still feel his presence. You still hear his voice. You can still be comforted. You can still go to a church service and raise your hands and say, God, I'll still trust you. I'll still believe you. Even in the awe and awe. Even when I can't see how this is going to work itself out. God. That this chastening may endure for a moment. Oh, but your grace, your mercies are new every morning. This is how God uses the afflictions in our lives. And I want to encourage you tonight. Don't give up on God. We have such a very small view, don't we? We're experiencing this life, and we're, we're seeing, it's like you're looking through the cracks of that, of that picket fence, and you can only see one little sliver of what's happening today in your life. But I want to tell you, God has a bigger view. God can see what's happening. He's gonna, he sees how it's going to work out, how it's going to affect you, how it's going to strengthen you. If tonight, if you'll be patient, if you'll trust him, if you'll go through it, and not get stuck. Let's bow our heads tonight. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.